Welcome to Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. I'm Joe Mayo, and I have a channel on YouTube, Mean Mr. Mayo. And let me tell you, we have some fun getting started here tonight. Let me let me tell you, there's a lot of challenges for this show, but hopefully we'll pull it off. Okay, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, another one of our albums that we call uh, maybe like sometimes, uh, you know, not well received. So we have this... Uh, series that we call Another Listen, where we give it a chance uh, and see if it holds up, if it's gotten better, you know, if we liked it all along, whatever. And uh, we have a special guest. Before I get to the special guest, let me introduce my co-hosts. First, of course, the queen of all backdrops, and that's a nice backdrop you got there, queen. I like it. You got everybody there. You got Ringo, Paul, Barbara, Linda. And uh, she has uh, a couple of books. She's the author of the songs we were singing, guided tours through the Beatles' lesser-known tracks, fandom and the Beatles. She does a podcast called Topamost of the Poppermost, talking about the one, the only Kit O'Toole. Hey, Kit. Hello, Joe. Hello, everybody. Hello, special guest. Good to all be right. with you all. Happy New Year. Okay, next up, I think I'll change here a little bit. We'll go over to uh, the syndicated radio show, Every Little Thing. You know what we're going to be talking about here. Um, he has a podcast, uh, Beatles, Things We Said Today, Talking Beatles, and a YouTube channel, Ken Michaels Radio. And that has interviews, trivia, panel discussions, all kinds of stuff over there. I'm talking about ken michaels hey ken hey joe good to be back like kid said happy new year to everybody happy new year happy new year now uh finally for our regulars he's a little under the weather and he's trying hard to make the show got some coughing of voices a little rough but he's trying to be a champ here he uh is one leg of the two legs podcast uh, mccartney centric Tom Onyadi. Hey, Tom, how you doing? How you doing, Joe? Thanks, and um, Happy New Year to everybody. I got crappy internet right now. I got a crappy throat, but <laughs> happy birthday, Andy, and go blue. Okay, all right. And here's our special guest I'm going to announce. Uh, he has a channel called, to get a load of this if you don't know him already, Call Me Mr. Broadstreet. Because he is a very proud fan of Give My Regards to Broad Street, and we thought it would be perfect to have him here. And we're talking about Edward Crawford. Ed, welcome to Talk More Talk. Thank you all for having me on. And uh, yeah, this is definitely within my wheelhouse. I've got a couple items <laughs> over here, so I think yeah. it's a fun time. 
You got some goodies, some memorabilia. Should we wait till after the news, perhaps? We usually do the news first. Now, Ken, uh, how are you doing on news today? Do we have a, a lot of news? Uh, well, really, the only major news item is that it's Annie Nichols' birthday. So that's <laughs> birthday. Because, um, you know, everything else pales in comparison. Mm -hmm. Oh, the same day as Elvis. Yes. David Bowie. And Bowie. David Bowie, that's right. Yeah. But actually, I do you have quite my, a lot of news. Quite a lot of news. Ken, you have my permission to take as long as you want with the news today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drink some of that hot tea, Tom. Yep. I hope it's English tea. Yep. Wine <laughs> <laughs> biscuits. You have to be very twee. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Um, in Beetle News, I very proudly rate this as the number one news item. Well, after after Annie Nichols' birthday. Um, since I've been complaining that we haven't heard any update on it until now, uh, Paul McCartney has a feature on his website called You Gave Me the Answer, in which he invites his fans to ask him questions, and he answers them. A fan wrote in and asked, will we ever get to hear the songs that you wrote for a musical stage version of It's a Wonderful Life? And Paul gave a vague answer but it's what we've got to work with. He said, I hope so, yeah. Musicals are difficult things to put together, but I think it may be shaping up at last. So hopefully you'll get to hear the songs. It's the end of the quote. At least we know it's not a dead issue. That's still being worked on, but at least we got something about this because nobody ever asked him the question. Also, although I haven't seen it, I've heard that the latest issue of Record Collector is one to rave about. It's dedicated completely, 100% to Paul McCartney, and includes a breakdown of every album from the family way, including studio, live, classical, fireman, and everything in between, packed with photographs and fan collections, as well as a highly detailed 10-page discography listing singles, albums, variations, colored vinyls, box sets, archives, CDs, DVDs, soundtracks, and guest appearances with release dates and values. You can see what your items are worth and what you still need in your collection. And our good friend Owen Lynn, who's been a frequent guest on my YouTube channel, Ken Michaels Radio, as well as right here on Talk More Talk and also on Two Legs, contributed a review of Paul McCartney's album, New. That is in the latest issue of Record Collector. I'm going to have to order it online because all my local stores that I checked out here didn't have it. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like it's really a dynamite issue. Mm -hmm. All right. It's believed to be the only painting the four Beatles collaborated on together. And now it's up for auction. Christie's Auction House in New York will be putting up for sale Images of a Woman, the painting that all four Beatles worked on in 1966 during their tour of Japan. This was done at the Tokyo Hilton. While the Beatles gave five concerts at the Nippon Budokan Arena, the Beatles spent about 100 hours in Japan, most of it at their hotel room. Apart from two instances when John and Paul snuck out with members of their entourage, Japanese authorities wanted the group to stay in their hotel for their own safety. The Beatles' appearances at the uh, Budokan Arena drew both adoring fans and protesters alike as there were threats from Japanese uh, nationalists who viewed the arena as a spiritual home for martial arts. The promoter for the concerts 
gave the Beatles some art supplies, and the group wound up around a table with a blank sheet of Japanese art paper in the middle and a, a lamp roughly centered on top of it. Each beetle sat at a corner painting something different. And each beetle put their signatures on their own contributions. The painting is expected to fetch between $400,000 and $600,000. And you can actually watch an interview that I just did with Beatles author Doug Wolfberg discussing this painting on my YouTube channel, uh, Ken Michaels Radio. And it's a story that he covers in his new book called Fab But True. Remarkable Stories Revealed, Doug Wolfberg. So we talk about that at length in my interview with, uh, with him. The painting goes on sale February 1st. Now, if any of you watched the most recent Things We Said Today podcast, we had three special guests on. Uh, Walter Everett, the author of the book, The Beatles as Musicians. That's a two-volume set. Also, Jack Petrozelli, a multi-instrumentalist, producer, and songwriter, and a member of the Beatles tribute band, The Fab Faux, and Cameron Grider, also a multi-instrumentalist and producer who's done a lot of session work. Together, the three of them formed an online group called the RPM School. RPM stands for Rock Pop Music. And starting today, January 8th, they are launching an eight-week course on the White Album. For eight Mondays in a row at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, they will have classes devoted to the White Album in which they explore the album's innovative recording techniques, also delving beneath the surface to understand what makes these songs great, plus the meanings these songs have for us. And in the show they did for Things We Said Today, uh, Walter, Jack, and Cameron demonstrate what they'll do if you watch their shows, going into music theory as well. Their website says the first 45 minutes of each class will be devoted to All Together Now, a live multimedia presentation and discussion on Zoom with these three Beatles scholars. And afterwards, you have the option of staying on for a seminar with Walter or a virtual band, a combination masterclass and remote recording project led by Cameron or Jack. Their show on January 22nd, two weeks from today, will also have Beatles engineer Ken Scott, who worked on the White Album, joining them as a special guest. If you're interested, you can visit their website at uh, rpm-school.com. Speaking of Ken Scott, he has teamed up with Fab DuPont, who is the producer and co-owner of plugin designer and provider of recording techniques tutorial, Pure Mix. They have collaborated on a film called The History of the Beatles Recording Techniques. From an article that appeared in Music Radar, Ken said, Fab and I were talking about how the recording techniques that the Beatles used changed everything. So we split it into four sections, the Please Please Me era, the Drive My Car era, the White Album era, and the Abbey Road era. We went into Abbey Road Studio 2, the main one that the Beatles used, and did a five-camera shoot using the same gear that they did, the red desks heard on every album up to Abbey Road, and the TG desks used on Abbey Road itself the same microphones, and as close as we could get to the same instrumentation. For the playing, we used musicians from the New York Beatles tribute band, the Fab Faux. And even though I work with the Beatles from A Hard Day's Night through to the White Album, albeit with a break in the middle, there were some things that were a revelation to me. 
This is on the website, puremix.com. And if you check our description box for this video, we're going to have the link if you want to uh, sign up for that and also for the RPM School and the eight classes on the White Album. All right. Sean Lennon is one of the artists involved for an album called Asterisms that'll be coming out in February. Sean is the leader of an all-star band of downtown luminaries, downtown New York. Years in the making, the music is described as powerful, trippy, and intensely imaginative, blending rock, electronics, jazz, and more into an exciting new musical soundscape. With driving rhythms, a stunning lyricism, and a brilliant sense of orchestration, this album is sure to surprise and delight music fans the world round. Beautifully recorded, this is a modern instrumental uh, music album at its very best. And so, an all-instrumental album from Sean Lennon and all these musicians that he's working with. Um, uh, <laughs> I thought I'd, I'd uh, include this in the news. You might have heard that a couple of weeks ago, uh, Brenda Lee's Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100, a song that has given her the distinction of the longest gap ever between number ones, 63 years since 1960s I Want to Be Wanted. In an interview with People, Brenda was asked about her relationship with the Beatles. She said, I go back a long way with the Beatles. I work with them in their early years when I used to tour England all the time. I just went to Ringo's show. He did a concert here at the Musicians Hall of Fame, and we reminisced a little while a little while about stuff. It was a lot of fun, but we were all learning back in those days. It was by the seat of our pants a lot of times, but we were having fun. We played in Germany, too, at the Star Club. When told that John Lennon once said her voice defined rock and roll, Brenda said, Ah, that was so sweet of him. Thank you for sharing that. I also want to add to this story that many years ago, I had the privilege of interviewing Brenda Lee. And she told me that since she was on Decca Records and she knew the Beatles, she was trying to help get them a record deal with Decca, but they wouldn't listen to her. So Decca was wrong in England. They were wrong <laughs> here too. But Brenda was a, a fan of their music and a good friend of theirs. We send our congratulations out to our colleague, Ken Womack, whose uh, new book on Mal Evans, Living the Beatles Legend, The Untold Story of Mal Evans, was voted among the best music books to come out in 2023 by both Rolling Stone Magazine and Variety. Way to go, Ken. Yes. So I heard, Kit, that your podcast, Toppermost of the Poppermost, was honored recently as being in the top, was it 10 of podcasts? Yes. And so was this one. <laughs> this was as well. Great. Yes, indeed. Yep, the same list. Uh, this is the Andy Dare Show, uh, which is a long-running uh, podcast and website. And uh, and he also is the owner of uh, Blue Village Vinyl Records, uh, which is my my local record store. And uh, and yes, he listed Toppermost and this one as uh, top uh, among his top favorite uh, uh, podcasts and video casts of 2023. So uh, so we are very honored, both the Toppermost and right here, uh, to be listed. So thank you, Andy. Yes, that is sweet. Thanks yes, for voting. Yeah, how sweet it is. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a few more items here. I think might be a little bit more. 
On the recent Kennedy Center Awards, Barry Gibb was honored. And Paul McCartney sent a video message saying, How Deep Is Your Love is a great song, and that he, Paul, should have written it. Also, on New Year's Eve in Times Square, just before midnight, Paul Anka performed Imagine. I got to witness this. You know, I've seen Paul Anka in recent years. He's in his 80s. He's got an amazing voice. It's as powerful as ever. He really keeps it in great shape. Uh, the new Weaklings album comes out January 19th called Raspberry Park, which includes mainly originals with two covers of Beatles songs, I've Just Seen a Face and She's Leaving Home. You'll be able to see the Weaklings in concert at the Beatles on the Beach Rock Festival in Delray Beach, Florida, January 24th through the 28th, as well as the Fest for Beatles fans, February 9th through the 11th at the TWA Hotel. Well, the Grammy Awards are coming up February 4th. While the Beatles are not nominated for anything audio-wise, I did notice online that the video that was made for I'm Only Sleeping was nominated for Best Music Video, something they had a root for for all of us. Um, it was also announced last week by the Re Recording Academy, the organization behind the Grammy Awards, that music veteran Peter Asher will be honored with the Trustees Award as part of this year's Grammy Awards Week, Peter is said to be surprised and delighted by this recognition from his peers that celebrates a lifetime of excellence in the world of music. Congratulations, Peter, on this much-deserved honor. Also a friend of the Beatles family, Tom Scott, will also be getting that honor. Some special events coming up. Our colleague Ken Womack will be appearing this Thursday, January 11th, at the Jacob Burns Film Arena in Pleasantville, New Jersey, New York, sorry, Pleasantville, New York, to discuss his new book on Mal Evans. Uh, the time for that is 7 p.m. This Wednesday is the last day if you want to see the special presentation at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland called Get Back to Let It Be, curated by the museum with footage from the documentary for Get Back and performances from the Apple Rooftop Concert. Also, legendary DJ, Cousin Brucey, Bruce Morrow, We'll be doing a show at the City Winery in New York City on February 5th, and in which we'll be talking with Jamie Bernstein. I believe, I'm not totally certain, that she's the daughter of Leonard Bernstein. I was thinking it might be Sid Bernstein. Well, I so, was just thinking. <laughs> she's not one of them. And uh, Jamie, Jamie Bernstein put out a book a few years ago, and they said that she's the daughter of Leonard Bernstein. So I guess that's the one. Um, it's called The Beatles Conversation, this event, no doubt, no doubt to mark the 60th anniversary of the Beatles' arrival in America. Beatles music will be performed by the group Black Rabbit. Of course, the Fest for Beatles fans is happening February 9th to the 11th at the TWA Hotel at JFK Airport. So many guests, so little time. Visit thefest.com for more information. We have to mention a couple of major passings that happened in the last few weeks. Of course, that of Tommy Smothers, one half of the Smothers Brothers, along with his brother, Dick. Um, the Beatles premiered their videos for Hey Jude and Revolution on uh, the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. That was in October of 1968. I don't know if you caught this, uh, by the way, if you read Ken Woman's book on Mal Evans, it talks about um, when Revolution was aired, 
Janis Joplin was giving a concert in Cincinnati with Big Brother and the Holding Co uh, Company. In the middle of the concert, they wheeled out a television because <laughs> she had to watch the Beatles on the Smothers Brothers show <laughs> with their video of Revolution. Oh, wow. And then when that Isn't was that, over, isn't that that's cool? what you call respect? Yeah. Right there. Nothing more important than watching the Beatles new video. And, that, and that's one of my only memories in, in real time of the Beatles is my mom waking me up, uh, say, Beatles are on TV. Come on down. And I went down and it's six years old and uh, saw them doing Hey Jude from the Smothers Brothers. Uh -huh. wow. yeah. And uh, that's one of the few memories I had. And I was, I remember it clearly. And I was like, these guys ain't the Beatles. <laughs> they didn't look like the Beatles to me from the with cartoons and everything. They look different, you know, uh -huh. John with the glasses and everything. It was a little bit of a shock, but I knew the song already. You know, I loved the song. Well, there was quite an event. I'm sure Beatle fans were glued those two weeks in a row because they aired one video. They, they aired Hey Jude first and then Revolution the next week. Um, a few weeks after, George Harrison appeared as a special guest that was broadcast November 17th just to show his support for the show after the network CBS were censoring the duo for their socio-political views. Let us not forget, Tommy played acoustic guitar during John and Yoko's bedding in Montreal on their recording of Give Peace a Chance and is referenced in the song. John and Harry Nilsson <laughs> were rejected from the Troubadour Club in Hollywood for heckling the Smothers Brothers. Ringo Starr appeared on the Smothers Brothers show. This was another one they had. This was April 28th of 1975, where he sang the No-No song with Tommy and Dick. So a lot of tie-ins there between the Smothers Brothers and Tommy and the Beatles. Tommy died on December 26th at the age of 86. And Japanese photographer Kishin Shinoyama, who took one of the last pictures of John and Yoko, has died at the age of 83. It was Shino who took the classic photo of John and Yoko kissing that was used on the front cover for their double fantasy album. Kishin spent five days with the couple in 1980, and it was he who suggested they kiss for the front cover. He said, quote, I think it was their happiest moment. I was fortunate to have been there, and I feel privileged to have captured the moment. Yoko said this uh, on Twitter, when John and I decided to make the album Double Fantasy, breaking a five-year silence, we wondered whom we should ask to take the photographs. As the two of us thought about it, suddenly the face of Kishin Shinoyama came to mind. I said, for once, I'd really like to have a Japanese photographer. John quickly agreed, saying, right, that sounds good. I never expected that, quote, for once, uh, this would turn out to be the last album John and I made together, and that for once would live on forever. It was a job coveted by photographers all over the world, and I truly feel that Kishin Shinoyama was destined to be the one to take those photos. And that's what led to the double fantasy photos being seen by people around the globe. Hmm. Sad to report that. Finally, we send out happy 80th birthday wishes to Paul McCartney's younger brother, Michael, who turned the big 8-0 yesterday, January 7th. Okay. His, uh, his uh, collaboration with, with Paul McCartney turns 50 this year, Nagir. That's wow. right. Wow. Oh, gosh. We'll Why have 50? to do something for that. Yeah. 
All right. And that's, that's all the news, eh, Ken? That's it. All right. Now, let's you, go on. When you take a few more weeks off, the news piles up. Yeah, yes. yeah that's that's the thing. It's always, always Beatles-related news. Always. Yeah. All right. So our main topic. Now, we're going to talk about Give My Regards to Broad Street, not the film. We could mention the film a little bit, you know, and I, I'm wondering if Ed has any memorabilia here. I got the CD handy. This one I got. I got the one. This is the Holland one. It's in the... It's a 93 uh, McCartney collection edition. Um, and, uh, yeah, we figure we were going to concentrate on the album, you know, the soundtrack album of the movie. Uh, you know, it's, you know, and I got two of them, too, with the height stickers. Not the, it's funny, you should, I was looking to pull one out, and I said, I got two of these. I didn't even know. <laughs> I've, got, I've got another one over there. but that's Oh, I'm I sure. Because we're going to talk about that. I, I wanted to start out by talking a little about that, if, if I may. Because let's talk a little bit about before we get into the album, the soundtrack, and everything, of how you got so into that, that because that's what you call your channel, channel on YouTube. Call me Mr. Broadstreet. How how did you get so apparently obsessed and, and in love with the movie? Give my regards to Broadstreet. Obsessed. I, I don't know what you guys are saying here. <laughs> <laughs> you know um, the brief version. Um, so I didn't get to see it in theaters. Um, I did get to see a little bit of it on VHS around, let's say, 1985 or so. Uh, that was uh, that summer. I think my dad had a had a tape that he may have rented or something like that, if I'm trying to remember right now. And then again, I caught it. Um, we're going a little bit forward in time when I saw Paul McCartney. Did he ever return it or is it still connecting late fees? Uh, no, no, no. I'd say it's, I don't think it's collecting late fees now. I think I think there's a little uh, little, uh, little 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 copy somewhere, but uh, I'd have to investigate that. But the uh, no, the thing was, and then fast forward a little bit, got to go to my first concert back in 1990, July 4th to see Paul. That ignites my full fandom. Uh, a couple years later, I get to buy the reissue of Broad Street, the film. Uh, that was probably 1996, if I'm remembering correctly, somewhere around there soundtrack album the rest is history and then i just start diving deeper and deeper and deeper into it and you know i guess for me it's kind of like it's it's a little bit of an untapped market as i as i started going down the rabbit hole you know i thought oh you know like stuff like yellow submarine had a lot of things but turns out a lot of stuff for broad street i just i really enjoy the film i know we're not really focusing on that i think the album itself you know i really enjoy it flows really well together i don't want to go too far ahead but that's kind of the Sort of the recap, really, of how I just. What 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 kind of items did you bring along? Memorabilia, uh, promo stuff, maybe. Uh, what do you have? Same compact disc. Oh, in the Four. yeah, the long box too. Yeah, in the long box. I've got I'll take that. A lot of <laughs> Second one I picked up. These these are harder to find. Uh, it's, a, it's a very thin script. That's a, oh well, yeah. <laughs> UK, just wait. UK, I, I've tried wow. to do it's a script that lasts a lunchtime. <laughs> right here, this is just a little promo from uh 20th Century Fox. Uh, I'm just trying to put stuff down here next to me, so excuse me. I've got here's a little bit of advertising arts. Uh, I've got the press kit, I've got the tapes, missing tapes on VHS and beta. Mm -hmm. Never had a beta player. But yeah, I never did either. Those are kind yeah, of expensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
In my regards to Rush Street, that's the uh, Chicago um, interview from October of 1984 when he was promoting the film. One of my pins right here. And just finally, I think to keep it somewhat short, I'll just show these in rapid order, hopefully. I got sheet music, the 12 inch, and I've also got the press kit right here. So yeah, you could say I kind of enjoy this. Oh, and another pin as well. Pardon me while I'm grabbing stuff from the side here. Another pin right here. I have that on my refrigerator. It's sticking in this corner of the logo of the refrigerator. <laughs> Let's see. I got the sheet music right here. Picked that up fairly recently. I can't play a note, but I just love seeing it. And, uh, <laughs> number one only night single. I picked this up about 1997, so this is actually the oldest item, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, the oldest record item in my collection as far as No More Lonely Nights. 12-inch single. Right here. Picture disc single. I got that at Beetlefest 2002, I think. Or Festival Beatles fans, as they now call it. And finally, the press kit. One of a couple I've got. And pretty much complete. And it just has all sorts of bios and stuff like that on the folks. Wait a minute. Yeah. You're coming up here showing all this stuff and you're not going to show the video game? Oh, yeah, of course I've got the video game. <laughs> I can't, you know, I, can't I knew that. there was something special I remember that he had, but I didn't know yeah, didn't hold know what on, it was. Hold on here. I've got, oh, got the video game. Of course I do. Actually, give me uh, one second. I had it right here. Well, well, it, um, oh, you've got it. No, that's not the video oh, that's game. Not that's it. just nice. <laughs> While he's looking for the video game, you're All talking right. about this right here. Oh, wait a minute. There it is. There it right is. There. Yes. That's it. That's the video game. It was a, Tom, it was a floppy disk, right? I've, I've even got the Japanese book here. I've got some lobby cards. I mean, <laughs> My you know, goodness. I've, got, I've got other stuff, and this is only a tiny bit of it. But yeah, the video game right here. And right inside here, I think for Commodore 64 in the U.S., if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, I had a Commodore 64. <laughs> I didn't. I, you know, but now I could retroactively look for one. There you go. You can yeah. you can go on YouTube and watch somebody play that game. I have. If you've yeah, never I seen it before. I love the 8-bit uh, version of Band on the Run while it's playing. And no more movie nights, of course. Well, yeah, just, just a couple items there. You're never going to see this anywhere else, folks. A guy really dedicated to the movie so much. Yeah, uh, exactly. Just a little bit, just a tiny bit. And especially yep. the uh, crew jacket is probably, this is my, possibly the most valuable item that I've Absolutely. got. Absolutely. It's all rented, rented. Yep. <laughs> um, when you mentioned press conference, um, yes. quick quick story. This is, this is my somewhat connection, but... Um, I had um, a babysitter um, in the early, uh, well, early 80s, obviously, so 84. Um, and her father was a photographer for the Chicago Tribune. And he was assigned to take pictures for an interview that Paul McCartney was doing with Gene Siskel um, to promote Broad Street at, at the time. And so uh Susie my babysitter was a massive Beatles fan and in fact her brother uh one of her brothers was in a touring company of Beatlemania at the time so they were they were hardcore this was a hardcore Beatles 
family, you know, a band family. So, um, so finally she's like, you know, please, can I go with you, dad, you know, to the, so he's like, okay, okay. So she was probably, yeah, she was in high school at the time. So they go down to, I forget which hotel in, in Chicago. And so there's Paul and, you know, and Gene Siskel's interviewing him. So she, you know, meets him briefly and also then like, okay, they got to get this interview done. So Tony's taking pictures of Paul as, as Gene's starting to interview him. And apparently Gene started asking him really obvious questions about the Beatles. I mean, like the same old stuff. I mean, like, you know, you know, did Yoko really break up the Beatles? And, you know, I mean, like really obvious stuff. And Susie started kind of smirking in, in the background and Paul saw her and he started kind of smirking because he knew exactly why she was laughing. And mm. Gene Siskel saw this and was basically like, get her out of here. Well, and so damn, that's, that's hardcore. And so Tony, <laughs> so Tony said, you know, okay, okay. You know, but can we please just get one picture with my daughter, you know, with Paul, please, please. And, you know, so Paul's like, okay, fine, you know. So, and I tried to find the picture. I have it somewhere and I couldn't find it before the show tonight, but there's a picture and, and her mom gave it to me of Susie and Paul on this couch. Susie practically looks like she's crawling into his lap, <laughs> you know, of the two of them uh, together. And, uh, and then Susie, had, they had to kick her out. <laughs> of the interview but uh but yeah this was this was during the the press junket for broad street and uh and yeah and gene Siskel was interviewing paul but apparently was asking him all the same old you know questions about the beatles and you know and even paul was like oh my god you know not much has changed no and not much has changed <laughs> at all <laughs> so that's my well, whole broad street story well, thank you thank you thank you for that kit thank you ed <laughs> For showing us some of your goodies that you, that you have, you know, um, of course, uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping later in the year, maybe October, fittingly, maybe we could do a, a show just on the movie Broad Street. You know, it'll it'll be the anniversary in October, and uh, you know, Ed hopefully will join us for that as well. Okay, because we'll talk about the movie, but the movie, you know. Was not well received, uh, you know, as we as a lot of us know, and it didn't it didn't really. Uh, do Paul a lot of favors, um, but we're going to talk about the music, okay? And before we get to the album, though, let's talk about the single "No More Lonely Nights" that was released in uh, September, September twenty-four of eighty-four. And uh, I, I, I'm going to go on a limb and say I bet you nobody here doesn't like the single. You know, let's talk about the single. Maybe the first time you remember hearing it. Um, if you if you if you're a younger person and you don't remember, then later on maybe when you heard it. So uh, I I always do this because we go kind of go in age order. So I'm going to start with you, Ken. Do you <laughs> do you remember? I'm sure you do. Do you remember when you first heard that or in the early days anyway when you first heard No More Lonely Nights? Certainly the early days, yeah. And I fell in love with the song instantly. And I was immediately uh, drawn to the lead guitar being played by Dave Gilmore towards the end. And I thought that's really unusual in a Paul McCartney single to have that much lead guitar work and to end the song and fade with that. And I thought that was really cool. 
And I love the whole melody and Paul's voice on it. And I thought it was one of the, the strongest ballads he'd put out in his solo career. And I love a lot of his ballads, but I loved it instantly. But one of my, my strongest memories was that at the time I was doing my uh, Beatles show on WDHA in New Jersey. And um, that's a rock station there. And they're known for playing rock and roll. And they play the Beatles and they play classic rock. And when it comes to someone like McCartney, they tend to favor the rockers, the band on the runs, the Jets, all that. The format's changed a lot since then, in a way. But in those days, they would play that. And the previous years, Paul's putting out Ebony and Ivory and Say, 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 and all this more poppy stuff. And some songs that would be more fitting to an adult contemporary audience and the program director who is the guy who hired me there um he was there on the sunday morning when uh around that time when when the song was new and i said to him what do you think of no more lonely nights and he said eh paul's got adult contemporary it's like can't you it's so impossible to please everybody you know i love paul's ballads a lot and this one had a bit of an edge to it because you had dave gilmore playing all that yeah the guitar work on it really sharp the stinging yeah but i loved it instantly really i still think it's one of his best ballads in a solo career i sure wish he would attempt to do yeah. it yeah yeah it would have been nice at some point um I, I i loved it immediately i remember hearing it right away and loving it immediately for the reasons that you stated and um i remember there was a show called Rockline. Mm -hmm. New York used to be on, and it was that they had a show on that uh, on when he was promoting this. I don't remember if it was the whole album or or just the song, but I I just remember a phone call with some girl saying how excited she was to talk to Paul and how oh it's so great that it song those inflections that you only have only you you know you'll have those and I remember that's something stick in your mind and I remember that and I thought yeah I know what she's saying you know. Um, for myself, I mean, I throw this in. I personally, I was going through a, a not a good time in my life for a while at that period that was just starting then. So every time I hear like anything to do with Broad Street, I kind of like think of that. It kind of like gloomy gray period, which actually, even if I had been fine in that period, it is that you know, it is it is rainy, you know, gray kind of feeling anyway. So it's not just what I was going through, but I, you know, I'll throw that in. So that's kind of a, a feeling that I have when I think of anything Broad Street. Um, okay, so um, let's see. Uh, oh, let's go with. Uh, I'm getting the ages. Uh, how about Tom? Uh, do you remember when you first uh, heard it, or the earlier times when you heard it in the beginning? Yeah, yeah, it was the. Uh, it was it was the video. And I think I'm really, really excited about watching, and I'm kind of glad to watch the video, the song, the video over oh, the song, because I, I think the the video for me is what you know one of the reasons why it's it's, it's really good. Not that a needed video would be good, because this is for me one of Paul's greatest compositions. This is just fantastic. Doesn't matter what decade, you know, and, and Paul's. Paul Trier. This is one of the standouts uh, for me. But, um, but yeah, watching the video every second I could, um, and then you know getting the getting the cassette. Uh, probably in I think it was '87 or '88. I got the cassette and just played played that song nonstop. 
I'm not the biggest fan of all the different versions, either the play out or the dance or or the sleep along or or the hiking version or you know all those different versions. That's just a joke. No worry, there aren't some. <laughs> but anyways, um, I, I'm not. But that the main song, uh, "No More Lonely Nights" for me is is just one of his top tier. It's Pierre McCartney. Okay. Well, well, well put. In the comments, are a couple, I have to. This is just me throwing in my opinion. Uh, somebody says, uh, "Black Chub Bear says No More Lonely Nights is a better song than Spies Like Us." To which Wink Fifty Five says, "Spies Like Us is an embarrassing song." I love Spies Like Us. <laughs> I just want to say that I love it. I love it. It rocks. Even if he's going, oh well, what do you, what do you do? Hey, hey, what do you say? I don't care. It's got great rock and guitar. I just had to say that. But I love No More Lonely Nights as well. All right, Kit, uh, how about you? Your memories? Oh, this brings back such great memories. I was 12 years old and, and I, you know, was into Top 40 Radio. And and uh, this, you know, was a, a staple of Top 40 Radio. I mean, I remember this was played to death. Uh, and it was also, as uh, Tom, you were saying, you know, the video was played a lot. Now, this was before Chicago really got cable. And so it was on local um, video shows. There was one that, you know, I would watch after school. Yes. And, uh, yep. And so this was, you know, played every day. I mean, it Same really here. was. Yep, it really was. And Friday Night Videos on NBC, that was probably played uh, there as well. So I remember seeing the video uh, and I loved the song. I mean, I really did. I Back then, I probably didn't think, oh, David Gilmore, you know, great on guitar. I probably wasn't aware of, of David Gilmore at the time, but I knew I liked, you know, the guitar on it. But I just thought... It, it was just a, a you know, wonderful pop song. I mean, I, I just loved Paul's voice on this. And I wasn't super into Paul yet at this point. I mean, I was starting to become, you know, aware of his stuff and, and starting to get to know him through, as we've talked about before, Michael Jackson. Uh, and, um, you know, probably was starting to become more aware of him through Say, Say, Say and, and that kind of thing. And I just... Um, I just love this song instantly from the time I was 12 years old. Um, you know, I, I just thought it was so beautiful and, and catchy and, and uh, you know, even at 12 years old, I thought it was, you know, sort of romantic and, uh, and just, uh, I, I absolutely love it. And I still do. I, I mean, I still think it's one of my favorite solo songs of his. It's very impressive. All right. So, Ed, to, uh, you're up to steal a quote from our friend Tom. You're you can you're up. Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, no, to steal a quote from our friend Larry Graves. It's a ten out of ten. <laughs> it's a ten out of ten. Yes, absolutely. Okay, Ed. Now you are up. Am I looking right, at well, you? Well, Tom. Now that you mentioned hiking version, I'm gonna have to go looking for that. You know, hiking <laughs> version, skiing version. You know, um, yeah. you know what? For me. It was MTV as well uh, to reflect, you know, both uh, Kit and Tom, also fellow uh, fellow Gen X. So that was kind of our primary, yeah, a, a big primary source of music. Um, I do remember hearing on the radio, but specifically, I remember the video on MTV. I remember seeing the promos for the film, um, you know, the the adverts on TV, the the trailers. I also remember the giveaway for the car on MTV. I thought that was kind of cool when they were trying to give away the uh, 1955 car that Paul drives in the movie on MTV. I'm like, oh man, that's one piece of memorabilia I wish I had. But I think it just 
it did strike a chord with me. And then again, as I said later, when I really went down the rabbit hole, getting the uh, compact disc uh, 1991, that was a big year after uh, the McCartney concert. So just kind of getting it at that point, really building up my collection and really from, from the moment, it is my top Paul song. Really? Yes. That That's your favorite Paul song? All time, yeah. Oh, that is that is quite a revelation. Including the Beatles? I would say on par with, I'll put it this way, on par with Let It Be, on par with Hey Jude, Yesterday, maybe I'm amazed for a solo track. But I, I'd probably have to say, yeah, number one as far as favorite song ever. Yeah, I would definitely wow. put it up in that high stratosphere compared to, to a lot of stuff. So, yes. That is quite a, a fascinating revelation. And good to hear. It's good to hear opinions like that. I like that. Okay. Well, all right. So um, it turns out that the single uh, got to uh, only number six in the USA, but it got to number two in the UK. So it was almost almost the number one for Paul, right? And then about a month later, give or take, we got the whole soundtrack album in October of uh, 1984. And uh, I was thinking how we'd go about this. Uh, I guess, you know, well, let's say we do this show called Another Listen because a lot of times uh, these are albums that don't always get recommended by most people. I don't know about it, <laughs> to the to the top, <laughs> uh, near the top of the list. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people, they discount it because it's, uh, a lot of fans feel, oh, you know, he redid the Beatles songs and he's redoing songs and this and that. Well, there's some new songs on here as well. We'll talk about all these. Well, first of all, I think we'll talk about let's 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 talk about the mm, the new songs first. How about that? Let's just go through uh the new songs. That being of course what we talked about No More Lonely Nights. But then we're talking about uh Not Such a Bad Boy. We're talking about No Values. Now uh, am I missing anything? I'm looking at the, a small yeah. print here. Is also um, the instrumental, which is a bonus track from CD of Midnight um, well, Lone Princess. No, yeah, yeah, uh, which is on this. They have it on this one. You okay, know. it's extend. It's extended, uh, which is new. Um, we're not talking about stuff like corridor music and things like that. But all right, but let's talk about the new songs first. Uh, now, for me, I'm just going to say in, in the actual film itself i'll make a little reference that's probably my favorite part of the whole movie is when they're doing not such a bad boy and they're doing uh, uh, no values with the band and all that and we'll talk about so bad and other ones that are re redos but let's go around and find out about some opinions on the new songs all right so kit let's start with you this time what do you think of the, the newer songs um I, you know not such a bad boy took a took a while to grow on me um, I, I wasn't crazy about it at first, but over time, uh, I've, I've grown to appreciate it. It's a fun rocker. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the chorus is really, you know, catchy and, and particularly that part, you know, they, no more, no more. I mean, it's, you know, it really sticks with you. Um, and I, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's one of his all time best, but you know, it, it possibly could have been a single. Um, you know, with the, I, I like the, um, you know, the lead uh, guitar, the kind of fuzz lead guitar uh, from, I believe it's Chris Spedding that's, that did that. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but, you know, it has a little bit of a retro rock feel to it. 
Um, so I, I do, you know, over the years, I've, I've grown to appreciate it a lot more. No values has, I don't know, uh, no values has just never really appealed to me as much. Um, I think just the lyrics have just been, it just are a little repetitive to me. I just the repeating no values quite a bit. Why um, don't you go all the way and sell your granny to the zoo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then there's that. <laughs> but I love I, I'll get to what when I get to my turn I'll, yeah, you know uh, I, I just yeah I've just never been that insane about it um it's uh you know it's played nice well book. you know I mean it's, it's played extremely well you got Ringo on drums I mean you know always a plus um and uh Paul does you know some nice bass on it and and all but it it just you know it's just not as memorable for me as not such a bad boy. I I, just, mm-hmm. I, I like the the other one just sticks in my mind a lot more mm-hmm. than than that. Um, and uh, and then as far as um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Good night, uh, princess. I of course didn't hear that for years uh, because you know I of course bought the original LP uh, and it wasn't on there, uh, so uh, you know didn't hear it for many years. And it's nice instrumental um you know it's a it's uh kind of again going back to sort of a music hall um sort of sound and it's a uh, nice year paul you know saying i'm you know saying at the beginning you know well we hope you enjoyed this album as much as we enjoyed making it and you know i mean it's it's charming um but i i like some of the other music hall things he's done you know uh, some other ones that he's done more than this um so it's uh but it's pleasant but uh but i'd say of the new ones uh not such a bad boy is is my favorite yeah, yeah. i i love not such a bad boy i think i just think it's a really good rocker you know and the lyrics okay the lyrics aren't great but like I've, we've said so many times before when you're rocking to a song does it really matter sometimes i get off on the fact that the lyrics are so are so weird you mm-hmm. know in, in a rock song you know whether it's junior's mm-hmm. farm and some of those lyrics whether oh, it's sure. bebopalula whatever it is as yeah. tutti fruity mm-hmm. i mean i really like I, I i like it i really love the scene in the movie and i i like the song no values is one that took a while for me i didn't like i don't think i was wild about it when it first came out but it grew on me pretty quick you know and now i really like it and uh there's a good you know the, the lyrics are kind of all over the place i do like the line about uh i, I might get a little wrong with something about uh, get a hold of my psychiatrist he, he's making money out of making me laugh and i like that that's that's good <laughs> it's a good line so i have fun with it i gotta tell you i was just supposed to be i'm supposed to be listening to this for the show another listen now i did play this album on one of my rides i had a long ride and probably in september or something like that so i kind of had a fresh reevaluation of it but i don't remember uh good night princess I, I, some fan i am i really can't tell you anything about it in my opinion so i'm gonna just like bow out of this one gracefully here i know how to get out of it gracefully okay but how do you get out of it gracefully that's the question well and as so i said gonna... i didn't hear it for years yeah. i mean i didn't know about it for years because you know i was used to the regular album version uh, so what do i know right yeah the, the vinyl yeah all right tom how about you tell us about what your opinion on the newer stuff that's on this at the time the new songs yeah well <clears throat> again sorry for my internet connection but the highlight of those two songs is the lineup. Chris Spedding, Dave Edmonds, Ringo, Paul, Linda. That, I think, for me, would have been a great touring band. 
Um, you know, he had talked, you know, around those years about uh, about going back out on the road. And I think that would have been a kick-ass uh, lineup uh, for a tour. Um, but other than that, I mean, the songs, I think, are are fine, but they're not some of his best rockers. Now, I really do appreciate, is it Goodnight Little Princess or Goodnight Princess? I forgot. On here it says Goodnight Princess. When the CD first came out, it read Goodnight Lonely Princess. Right, right. Oh, yeah, I see that. Princess. Yeah, it's just, it's, oh, but, here it says. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. yours is the other okay. one. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I, I've come to really, you know, I've said this before, I've come to really appreciate his classical stuff. I'm sure we'll get into Eleanor's Dream uh, as well, because that's, uh, for me, is another highlight uh, on the album. Well, actually, CD, because they only play a minute of it on the uh, on the album, unfortunately. But, um, but other than that, yeah, I think the lineup... Uh, for those two songs, for me, is the highlight. I I agree, Tom. I mean, it, it's it is like you think it would have been a little better than it than it was. Mm. Yeah, I agree. All right, okay, Ed, how about you? You know, I'm going to go a little bit reverse with this one, um, probably from other folks. I mean, being totally contrarian here, right? But uh, <laughs> no value is I kind of gravitated toward towards immediately. Uh, and I remember Paul in an interview saying it's the, one of the second or one of the few dream songs he had about dreaming about, well, yeah, the Rolling Stones are performing this one, you know, in the dream he wakes up, you know, no values. And, um, you know, he goes, wait, they don't have a song like that. You know, he goes, oh, I better write it before Mick claims a copyright or something like that. Yeah. So no values I always enjoyed, especially the guitar, you know, the guitar solo, which I think should have kept going, you know, instead of that kind of that, that interruption, you know that's that's me personally that's why i like the film version a little bit a little bit better a little bit longer on that um you know rocks along nicely not such a bad boy same thing it rocks along nicely and you know what i like uh, i do also enjoy the warehouse sequence the best you know that that is one of my favorite parts of the film and i rewatch that quite often as far as the album this has gotten a lot of airplay for me uh, over the years so yeah that's I'd have to disqualify myself on the re-listening category but yeah i i really i kind of enjoy them a bit more in reverse, but I think two very solid songs in my view, two very good songs and no values. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they were working on it with the 1979 incarnation of Wings. There's actually a uh, there's actually a little bit of a version I have in somewhere in the archives where it kind of sounds a little bit different that they're working on it at that time period, which was kind of nice to hear as well. Yeah, I think there were rehearsals in 1980 with the band. Mm -hmm. with the yeah. I had a videotape of some Wings rehearsals uh, once, and I don't remember what what everything they were doing there. That that that's interesting. I like that's a good tidbit. Okay, Ken, you? Well, um, for the longest time, the biggest highlight of this album were the new songs, um, and it could still very much be that way. But I instantly loved the two rockers, "Not Such a Bad Boy" and "No Values." It just took a few listens before they were stuck in my head. And I don't get all crazy about, you know, Paul's lyrics and being super critical of them because some of my favorite songs of his have very silly lyrics. You know, I love Big Barn Bed. I love Soily. You know, you, you read the lyrics of those songs. Do you really understand the meaning of some of those songs? But still, I sing along with them and they're both very catchy. They're both very edgy. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, Tom, you said this, I would love to see 
have seen Paul tour with that band to have Chris Spedding, to have Dave Edmonds and Ringo, <laughs> uh, Linda, throw in Eric Stewart. What a killer band that would have been. And they sound so good doing those two rockers right there. And I could even, because I, I know what you were saying there, Ed, about Paul saying that he dreamed No Values and hearing Mick Jagger sing it. I can hear Mick Jagger sing the chorus. Well, you ain't got no values. <laughs> you can see him doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love both those songs. Um, is it top tier McCartney? I don't know. I love it as much as so many other rockers in his solo career. Um, I also want to say Eleanor's Dream, I think, is absolutely brilliant. I wish I knew more about the collaboration there between Paul and George Martin. How much did George Martin write as far as Eleanor's Dream is concerned? How much was Paul? There's very little that's known about that. I know I asked Luca Parasi about that since he put out the book on Paul, and he himself didn't really know for sure. And Paul really hasn't spoken about that, you know, but it's variations on Eleanor Rigby. And some of that music's absolutely beautiful, like its own separate classical piece of music. And it's gorgeous. It really is. Um, I also have to say I love the play out version of No More Lonely Nights. I think it's absolutely brilliant when you can take the same sets of lyrics and have a whole different melody around it, you know, and it really works as a dance track there. Now, a lot of people that don't like when Paul does his dance stuff probably wasn't crazy about this, but I thought it was really clever of him. Um, and Goodnight Lonely Princess or Lonely Princess, whatever it's called, um, is, is really a shining moment for me because I love when Paul does that 1930s, 1940s style music this is strictly an instrumental. I've always said that I could have heard this on Lawrence Welk's TV show, you know, and the melody just fits that style. And it just goes to show how musically eclectic Paul is, that he can master so many different styles there. And that's just like a bonus track that he puts on the CD. It was actually used in that one scene towards the end where Paul is talking to Sir Ralph Richardson. It's being played on the radio, but you don't hear the whole thing. But I think that it's so brilliant what he did there with that instrumental. I wish there was more of that stuff coming from Paul. You know, could have fit on Kisses on the Bottom. Put some instrumental songs on Kisses on the Bottom because it fits that style so well. So um, the new stuff I thought was, was a, a real treasure there. And like I said, No More Lonely Nights, one of his best ballads in his solo career. Um, yeah, so all those songs I really treasure. And before I forget about lyrics again, I love, love, follow the leader into a tent. Nobody told me that she owed some rent. I love the way he sings it. And I love it. It's, it's like, love it. If it was something that was really profound, I wouldn't have liked it as much. So I, I love that part. So, um, okay. Now, I guess we'll go. Look, we probably read comments at the same time. Hard to do, you know. <laughs> to read everybody's yeah, remarks. I just, oh, yeah. Okay. I just want to say real quick uh, with, go, you know, uh, Goodnight Princess. Yeah, you know, very, very, very much in the style that some of his father would have listened to. And, uh, Eleanor's Dream, I kind of, it's kind of like, you know, coupled with uh, Eleanor Rigby. Yeah, a, a nice enough piece. Maybe not my personal favorite, but it is, you know, wonderfully written. Sorry, I forgot about those two, but. Well, that's uh, okay. It, it happens. It happens. 
All right. Now we're going to go for the songs that are, I guess, redos, covers of his of his own stuff. And, you know, I remember him once saying, like, you know, well, why shouldn't I be able to sing them? Something like that. People were saying you shouldn't do them, you know. And uh, Ringo was not uh, really thrilled with the idea, right, of, of playing again on the on the covers. And I think maybe because... Maybe he felt like you know he, he maybe he wasn't doing the mask well. He he's already done his performance of certain things. I remember Paul once saying that Hey Jude was supposed to be in. I, I think it was the medley part at the at the, near the beginning. I remember him talking about this. The director had it set for me to do Hey Jude. And Ringo wasn't wild about about doing that, you know, especially. So um, and I remember Paul saying, "Well, saying that pretty much about Ringo." You know, he figured, well, I did my performance on Hey Jude, where I'm great and everything. He's speaking for Ringo, you know, but I remember him saying, but I think maybe he was afraid maybe he wouldn't do it as well. You know, he said it politely, you know, like that. And I remember that stuck in my in my mind. Uh, for me, I, I mean, I don't want I want you guys to go, really, and not me say it, but I, I do love the, 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 I have no problem with that medley. I love everything in there. That he does, uh, and I forget. I'm not really prepared as well as I should be. Uh, I guess yes. It starts with yesterday, then he goes to here, there, and everywhere, which has different lyrics at times. And it, uh, he says, yes. right? I need a love yeah. of my own. Yes, and, yes, and like that. Yeah, uh, love. I, I, I love it, and I love Wanderlust. I, I you know, even though I, I, I love the Tug of War album version, love Wanderlust here. I think it's 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 great the way you see all the, the musicians, you know, they got the the horns and they're playing along, and it kind of ends with that, you know, uh, big finish in in that scene. I really that that's another of my favorite scenes, you know. I could do without the producer saying to fit the plot uh, about yesterday and everything. Paul singing yesterday he says. Very bloody appropriate, the guy says in the middle of the song. You know, uh, didn't need that, but that's not on the record, <laughs> right? We're talking about the record. So anyway, uh, but just I, I just wanted to get that in. I won't talk about the others, but let's go. Let's start with Ed this time. Ed, um, tell us, like you know, what what you like as far as covers go. You got the Beatles, but you also have uh, McCartney with doing Wing stuff, you know, in his own. Well, just, to, just to show off a couple other ones yeah, I had, I had the uh, sealed tug of war ready to go, and I even had the sealed pipes of peace ready to go. So I was I was coming prepared <laughs> today with uh, the hype stickers. But we'll go with the album. So as heard on on those two there, um, you know, yesterday uh, again, perfectly fine. I think uh, you know if I'm going to choose between yesterday or the original version, I'm going to give the edge to the original version. You know, for for obvious reasons, it's very enjoyable uh, here, there, and everywhere. About a tie, about a tie between that, you know, the revolver version and this. I do like the little, the little lyrical twist on, uh, you know, that he does on this version here. Wanderlust, you know, um, again, I could almost go with a tie between this and the tug of war version, but maybe I would give a slight nod to the tug of war version. But again, a very well done version. His voice is in fine form. Um, do you want me to keep going with all the other other tracks as well? Or um, well, just yeah, if you want to go, however you want to do it. I mean, yeah, we'll just go down. Well, I, can, I, can, I definitely want to say because I'd love to hear other folks' takes on on other tracks. But I, I don't, I don't get, I don't want to get mixed up. So, <laughs> oh, okay, a hard enough time. So let's just do you at you one at a time. So okay. yeah, so uh, ballroom dancing. By the way, I love, I love tug of war's ballroom dancing. 
So that's mm. my favorite. But I like the one here too on here a lot too on on this album, the soundtrack album. Well, go ahead, Ed. Yeah, you know, I I like the little uh, lyrical twist he adds on that. Uh, you know that yeah, uh, different lyrics. Yeah, a little bit. There's uh, you know, the man's oh god now see now I'm gonna be blanking on it because I'm right here right riding the, on uh, a rocket is that one of them when you're riding no right on the rocket. the man's his wife now the girl has grown and the man's his wife and they you know float off to a better life that type of thing they've they've they kind of fill out what happens to the story afterwards the story but this little tiny you know, two or three sentences I want to say uh, on that one. Really well done. I do like the uh, this one, this version. I think I'm, I do like a little bit better with kind of the guitar snarling a little bit. And again, whenever I see the movie, I picture that video, as it were, in my head. Uh, so I think I do prefer this one just a little bit more over the Tug of War version. But both amazing songs uh, with ballroom dancing. And uh, we'll continue. How about, uh, how do you feel about silly love songs? Help. It's all right, in my opinion, but... Uh, okay, here, here we I go. Controversial opinion. I love it. <laughs> oh, I, I actually... I, it, there's something about that bass slap that really does it for me. Look so, at the time. <laughs> it's the break it's the break dance scene that's what it's the break like. dance scene i do you know I, I i do love it i do love it i um you know i i don't know if i could outrank the original version but it's it's up there it's it would be a very close second i really do love uh, i enjoy this version a lot and what about so bad uh so bad uh nice enough i think you know uh eric stewart and you know the, again they're in the warehouse sequence they're they do a fine version of that um Probably the pipes of peace version, maybe a tiny bit more, but but again, you know, both very well done. You know, I I would say, you know, I I could I could swap both of them easily. Uh, with uh, so bad, and yeah, let me see here. For no one. Uh, for no one. Mm. For no one, I'd probably have to give a little bit of the edge to the revolver version. Again, nicely done. Uh, Eleanor Rigby, Eleanor's dream. Uh, Eleanor Rigby, I do like. Um, obviously the original version is gonna. <laughs> you know, going to be a bit better for obvious reasons, I think. Uh, again, it ties into Eleanor's dream. That, you know, that particular part might be sort of my least favorite of the of the film itself, but I know we're just going with the record itself. So, I mean, nicely done, you know, nicely done. It predates uh, Liverpool Oratorio definitely by, you know, six or seven years or whatever it was. Uh, Long and Winding Road, controversial opinion, but yeah, I actually do like it. I like the, the sax on it. So yeah. it's a very 80s sound. I know, I know. As I see, I see Thomas. Don't throw anything. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Giving you the skunk eye, Ed. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm going to give Tom more time to rest his voice a little bit. All right, all right. So Ken, uh, you know, you know, it's up to you. You don't have to necessarily go through everyone, but if you want, you know, whatever, however you want to handle it. What do you? What's your favorites? You know, what? It's up to you. Well, let me just say that when it comes to, um performing songs in concert i think that most fans like when you stick with the same arrangements to the songs but for me if you're going to redo your songs as studio recordings to make it worth your while i would want something different to be done to the arrangement somewhat so that there's something to look forward to instead of doing a straight copy of what it was like before so in most cases i've enjoyed all these cover versions um and i listened to the sound to the to this album the cd all the way through today and even though i listen to the songs every now and then 
all the way through, I haven't done for quite a while. Give My Regards to Broad Street is probably the album from Paul that I've listened to the least, mainly because of the fact that there's a lot of covers on there. So there isn't as much to look forward to. But I was really surprised how much I enjoyed these covers so much more now than I did before. I think his voice really was in great shape throughout this entire album. And um, when I'm talking about different arrangements, probably the one disappointment for me would be Good Day Sunshine, because that version that. is an exact replica of what the Beatles did. It is nice but he let George Martin do the piano solo since he did it on the Beatles version. So he's doing it on this version. So I like the fact that, you know, gave a nod to George Martin there. But it's it's interesting to hear that Paul does all the harmonies on Good Day Sunshine, but it's not like you're going to hear that and say it's so much better than the Beatles version. You shouldn't have to compare every version. As long as it's worth your while to listen to these newer versions, then that's fine in and of itself for me. I do love the whole medley of Yesterday, um, Here, There, and Everywhere, and Wanderlust. Those three songs flow together really well. Um, also, we should point out that the Philip Jones Brass Ensemble plays the horns on this version as they did on the Tug of War version. And again, I think Wanderlust is pretty close between the Tug of War version and this version. Um, but still, I like the fact that those three songs were just seg together as a medley that works together really well for no one i found really interesting because instead of having a piano on there it's on acoustic guitar with strings so it has a whole different vibe to it i find i like that version a lot i can't say it's better than the beatle version it doesn't matter it's just another way of listening to that song and i really enjoy that version a lot the long winding road i love a lot I love the sax, like like Ed was saying before. It's a very, I don't want, I don't know if you should call it Vegasy version of of the Long and Winding Road, but that's a song that Paul has done a lot of different versions of, and I love every arrangement because the song is just so strong. And I love his high voice uh, towards the end of the song and the last verse, and how the song doesn't have the same ending. It kind of suspends there at the very end. Something very different right there. Um, <clears throat> silly love songs. I absolutely love it. It's so completely different from the version from 1976. I like the fact that it's danceable. I like the fact that you've got Lewis Johnson on there doing the slap bass. For those of you that don't know, he was part of the Brothers Johnson and uh, was also on Thriller. He played on the Thriller album from Michael Jackson. And uh, I love the slap bass part on there. And I also like the fact that um, he actually modulates in the song. He goes up in key, which he rarely ever does in any of his music. It's a lot faster. It's such a different version from, from the original. Again, it gives me more reason to sink my teeth into this instead of trying to do just the same thing. Um, what else? I, I love um, Eleanor Rigby and Eleanor's Dream, like I said before. Um, am I missing anything? <laughs> I'm looking. I don't. I think that so might be bad. the last one. So bad. So bad. Oh, so bad. Very, Sorry. Very close to the Pipes of Peace version. It's <laughs> a little bit more harmonies, a little bit more lush. Um, I like it, but it's not that different from the Pipes of Peace version. But the versions that are different are the ones that I enjoy the most. 
So, um, yeah, and ballroom dancing. I love the fact that Paul added that extra verse towards the end. And uh, it's, it's um, God, the tug of war version is so good. <laughs> and and on the, the Broad Street version, his, his vocals are a little bit more distant, like he's not right on the mic. So it has more of a live feel to it. So I like that aspect of it. Um, can't say which one I, I, I like better, but I think a fine job was done on ballroom dancing. I wish that he had done more solo music, <laughs> you know, covers of solo and not as much Beatles. But yet now, having listened to it today, I like this album so much more than I ever have. Because I yes. really always clung on to the new songs more than anything else. I always liked the covers, but now I really like them even more than I ever have before. All right. Thank you, Ken. All right, Tom. Uh, what do you? What's your take? All on right. Thanks. Thanks for the break, Ken. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to try to get through this as best as I can. A lot of people will credit the '89 tour for Paul accepting his Beatles past. I disagree. This album is Paul accepting his Beatles past. Mm -hmm. And if you read, uh, if you read the music, Musician Magazine for 1980, he says that. Dressing up as Beatle Paul in the coming up video made him realize that, hey, you know, I should be proud of what I did. And, you know, that being said, I don't think necessarily everything is, is kosher <laughs> on, on this album. But um, for, for instance, I love me some 80s sax solos. Love me 80s sax solos. But on the long and winding road, it does not belong. I'm sorry. Um, and then also, I think the medley is nice. Uh, I do like how it goes to one uh, it closes that out. I do like the um, the uh, the late or the, I'm sorry, the early '80s uh, tug of war pipes of peace remixes. I do like so bad for the longest time. So bad from Broad Street was my version. I listened to that cassette all the time mainly because of that song so bad um silly love songs this is a case where i think if you see the movie the song you know i think it gels but when you're just listening to the album and not watching the movie i i don't think the the song necessarily works for me just like i think eleanor's dream doesn't work for, for joe um however i think it doesn't work in the film either. I don't think that dream sequence in the movie uh, is anywhere as good as Eleanor's dream. Okay. Um, Long and or Eleanor Rigby, the song, is he singing it in a different key? Uh, is he, when he does all uh, the lonely people, does it sound like he's, I don't think so. Um, I, to me, to my ears, it sounds like he's singing it over. I think he's singing it lower, but uh, it's not as in bass as the, uh, as the revolver version but um but all in all i think as a man who had one of the most successful 14 years solo career leading up to this leading up to this um album i wonder if he was pressured in including beatles songs or or was it just the fact that uh, he was finally accepting his past 
and um, and wanting to revisit um, those songs, which is fine with me. You know, I have no problem with it. It just, you know, for my ears, not all of them gel together. However, I like I said, I do really like the, <laughs> sorry, the Pipes of Peace and Tug of War stuff uh, that was released on this album, or remade. And this started a trend as well. A lot of artists, a lot of peers of McCartney started redoing uh, songs of their own. I remember when Eric Clapton released his box set, he did a remake of After Midnight. Um, I think Rod Stewart on his box set did a version, uh, did a remake of Mandolin Wind. Um, so other people started um, remaking their early uh, or redoing their early classics. But um, but all in all, again, the, the solo stuff for me is the standout, except for Silly Love Songs. All right. Well, that was a good point you brought up about uh, Paul, you know, embracing his Beatles past with this album really more in a way you know more i mean than ever can know? i just say something yeah. i think paul was always proud of his beetle past but he says he's not proud right. of it we're not, not gonna have a repeat of last show <laughs> you no, know? i just want to say I'd that, say, that say he was ashamed of it he just didn't play as much of it well in the 70s he felt he had to prove himself on his own he didn't want to have to rely on it that's all and by the end of the 70s yeah, but... if you look at all the success he had in the 70s he didn't have to prove himself anymore you know, so it's fine right. to right. embrace, you know, the past and start well, to. I understand that, but uh, uh, can't hardly hear you. Yeah, yeah. but you no, know, Garbarini for an interview, he right. was talking about the Beatles. If that came through or not, I'll again for the for the uh, connection. So something about it's okay again. Come something. through. Am I can you hear me now? It felt good. Right. Well, the, the, suit the, 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 uh, the yeah, I know. The right, the conductor of this interview, Vic Garbarini, before the interview was said not to talk about the Beatles. Oh so wow. That right there kind of tells me that he still wasn't he still wasn't completely there yet. Mm. But this is the interview that uh is you know, everybody says and that's the mccartney interview uh from 1980 yeah uh, right 1980 which is, which is on the record uh, the record that came out the mccartney mm -hmm. right record yeah. yeah 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 and uh yeah and i remember like you know um i get this on my channel a lot with comments you know people say oh well you know uh you know paul you know has really embraced his past and so is ringo i said look and you know john and george didn't well i said well they didn't live long enough. Well, George, well, George eventually got better at it too, with in playing in Japan and playing a lot of, of Beatles tracks. John didn't have as much of a chance, you know. He was gone too early. But but I always tell them there was a point when Paul too, maybe around then, wasn't as eager to do as many half of his show, three quarters of his show, Beatles, right? Like he does now. Uh, he didn't do that in rock show. He didn't, you know, play Beatles songs, but it wasn't predominantly Beatles, you know, who knows if John had been alive, who knows what he would, if he was playing in 2015, what he might've done in a concert, he might've played a lot more Beatles than he did uh, uh, playing, just come together. We'll go back in the past just once, <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's like, yeah, they had a, Ringo too. Ringo told people, don't ask me about the Beatles. You know, we, we get, you know, he's on Dick, uh, not Dick Cabot, Merv Griffin and everything. And, trying to promote caveman all they want to talk about is the beatles and he used to get really sour about it now he's 
look at Ringo. He's all, he's all too happy to revel, to revel in his past with the Beatles now, right? What do you think? Yeah. 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 As long I as think... you talk about his current project, too, at the same time. He's... <laughs> you yeah. You got to do that. That's true. You got to do that. Well, I, I wanted to say before I let you go, Kit, that uh, you, you have your turn. Are you, uh, Tom, you mentioned Eleanor's Dream. And you said, I think you said something. Uh, Amidst the internet problems, I think I heard you say something about you know how I didn't really care for Eleanor's dream. I've said that before in in the movie. To me, it's just excruciatingly long. It just it just goes on and on and off. Some something about it, but the piece, the music piece, I I love. I love the music. I just feel the scene goes on too long in the movie. That's all. And Long and Winding Road, I have the opposite to you, Tom. You were saying about the saxophone doesn't work in that song or whatever, right? Whereas you had said that uh, sometimes it actually, what did you say is the one that works in the movie? Silly Love Songs, was it? You said Silly Love Songs works in the movie? Yeah, Silly Love Songs, that version works in the movie because you? of what's going on in that segment. Yeah, because of what's going on. Well, that's how I feel about the sax in Long and Winding Road. I like what how it plays in the movie. You know, I like it in the movie, the sax effect. Fair enough. Yeah. But anyway, all right, Kit, your turn. Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting how, you know, your views of an album change over time. Because, you know, when I was, as I said, you know, when I was listening to this when I was 12, I mean, I... I think I wore this album out. <laughs> I, I played this a lot. I still have my copy. Um, and, uh, you know, and and so some of the songs like um, Silly Love Songs, I, I used to love that version and all. But then, you know, as I got more and more into the fandom and I, and I you know, started listening to more and more of the albums and hearing the originals, you know, because so, some of this I really realized as I was you know, uh, working on uh, this episode tonight, I thought, wow, some of these were actually, like, I heard these, some of the versions of these songs first before I heard the originals. Yeah. So, right. I mean, it was, you know, interesting to, to think about that. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, you know, some of the versions, like, I've always actually liked this version of, uh, the Broad Street version of Ballroom Dancing a little better than the Tug of War version. I, I felt like you know, as you guys have been saying, like the extra lyrics, I like the extended guitar solo, a little bit extended in the in the middle. Um, and uh, I don't know, this one has just, a, it, it's just by a hair that I like this this version better. Um, just has a little more energy to me. And to this day, now when I hear the original version, I, I'm waiting for Wave the Sword and that's it, kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that part of the movie. It took me a while to get used to and that. It gives the kid a thumbs up. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> and at the end, lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know all that stuff, but 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 besides all that, um, you know, I've just always liked uh this this version a little better. Wonderlust, as you said, I'd say it's about even. You know, the this version is is beautiful too. Um, and uh, I so I'd say that's you know so bad now this version this is another one where i didn't hear this version of so bad for many years because it was not on the lp um they they cut that too uh so i would give definitely the edge to the pipes of peace i i like that the original much better i just i don't know you were saying um ken that you thought the the harmonies were lusher a little lusher on the broad street version and i i thought they sounded lusher on the pipes of peace version to me i don't know why i just uh 
for some reason i i don't know it just sounded a, a little bit of a fuller sound on pipes of peace i'm not sure why but uh but i like that now silly love songs i have a couple of things to say about that so um i used to like this version as much as the original version and listening to it now i don't know i mean it it sounds like it was trying to update the the sound of of silly love songs to fit the time uh you know the 80s and i don't know i i take what you say tom you know now that you say that watching it in the film i think you're right that it makes more sense when you watch it than when you just listen to it however I, I should add, though, I mean, it's amazing how many musicians involved in that. I mean, it was all, it was like a Quincy Jones fest. I mean, it was, you right. know, members of Toto, uh, Lewis right. Johnson, as you mentioned, one of the greatest bassists of all time. That solo, you know, that slap bass solo is just incredible, as you guys have talked about. Um, I mean, great musicians involved on that track. Um, I kind of wondered if that was maybe a result of the, you know, maybe... Um, maybe the girls mind sessions i just wonder if they got hooked up somehow from that i i don't know because i mean those are that's straight from the quincy jones playbook so i'm not 100 sure uh but anyway so it's good uh i is it better than the original i don't know um but uh but it just sounds like it was trying to update it um as far as the beatles covers go i know you guys have talked about them extensively so i'm not going to go into too much depth uh, in them but um you know some of them were better than the others i used to like long and winding road more uh than i do now the sax i kind of agree with you joe it fits in the film the film yeah because i i agree with that it fits the scene you know that sax yeah does. i mean that fits the scene um, I don't know. Uh, and I do, Ken, you talked about the ending. I've always liked the ending of this version. I like that, how it trails off in that kind of unresolved chord. I, I've liked that as well. Um, the rest of it, is it better? No. Uh, I don't think it beats the original at all. And in fact, parts of it are a little closer to the Phil Spector <laughs> um, version with the chorus, uh, the, or the... Um, uh, well, yeah, the, the choir, I should say. Uh, you know, there's a choir in there. It's like, isn't that a little closer to the full Spectre arrangement that Paul said he didn't like? <laughs> yeah, right. I <laughs> thought that, yeah. That's, that's a little strange. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, that's kind of an odd, odd choice. Um, you know, and some of the others, I mean, you know, uh, for, for no one uh, yesterday, I mean, they're nice versions. Um, were they necessary to remake? And, and I, I don't know. I mean, it is kind of a mystery, as you were saying, Tom. You know, why did he feel he needed to remake them? Um, you know, that's a valid question. Uh, I remember him saying, well, I, I, again, these things you have in your mind from interviews, yeah. that he told the director, he gave him a list of songs that he'd be happy to sing. Mm-hmm. And, and the director yeah. picked, it, picked them out? Uh, yeah. Okay. That's what I would recall. Okay, so that 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 makes sense. Um, so, and if I ever get to interview him, uh, I would love to know why he changed some of the lyrics to here, there, and everywhere. I mean, it's fine, I guess. Yeah, but I just I wondered, you know, I need a love of my own. I always want to know why. Hmm. <laughs> why? <Yeah. laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's not bad, but it's uh, so maybe maybe he thought that's how it went. You know, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, like do they remember as as well as we do? I, I mean, know. who knows? I just he you know, must I just. Know. 
I just always been fascinated by that. So, yeah. So, I mean, the remakes, you know, some were better than others, uh, I would say, but were they better than the original with maybe the exception of ballroom dancing? And not really, I, I wouldn't say. So it's, I, I just don't know. You know, but they're not worse. Yeah, they don't sure. have to be, but I, uh, yeah. Yeah. I agree with Ken. Was this one of the times that he changed the order of the, the writing credits? I don't know. Do you know? That's I don't know what I know. Now you got Let's check. <laughs> I think the first time was the live album. One of the live albums. I thought yeah, I so, yeah. America. Well I should know this, right? Yes. Yes, I Mr. Know, Broad right? Street. <laughs> yeah, I know. Mr. Broad Street is slashing tonight. Oh, my God. Shame oh, on you. Went out from the CD version. And no, the... it's saying Lennon McCartney here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, what's one thing that's Very really good. interesting about this album? Mm -hmm. You take a look at all the musicians' credits. Paul plays very little bass. That's true. Good he, point. Rockers on No Values and Not Such a Bad Boy and So Bad. Yeah, but otherwise he gets uh, Herbie Flowers to play bass on No More Lonely Nights. Um, John Paul Jones plays the bass on Ballroom Dancing. That's right. Yeah. So he doesn't mind letting someone else, a very talented, kind of like what he did with Stanley Clark, in a way, you know, and uh, Tug of War and Pipes of Peace. So yeah, that's that, that's kind of like uh, about the same time, David Bowie with the Tonight album. He kind of let the musicians, he didn't play guitar on it. He just like, all right, yeah, go for it. And just. He should have let somebody else write the movie. Uh -huh. Oh! 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 No. Oh! oh. 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 that for the anniversary edition. Yeah, yeah just, let's say it just that... came naturally. It just seemed to oh man. Yeah. Speaking of guitar, the lead guitar on Ballroom Dancing, the radio is incredible. I don't know if that's Chris Spedding or Dave Edmund Edmonds. I thought that was great. Whoever played guitar on that. It's great, and I also forgot to mention. Uh, Ken yeah, they're on. I like the playout version of No More Lonely Nights. Too. Yeah, I'm I, with I, you, I was, <clears throat> was going to say other versions. I mean, I'm not familiar with. I got to tell you, even though I, I collect a lot of these things, I'm not familiar with all the. I know I don't care for the playout version too mm -hmm. much. You know, yeah, I like but, it. It's it's fun for the dance floor. Yeah, you know, extended version, special dance mix, playout version. They get like a whole bunch of versions. Yeah, I don't know all of them, but, uh, you know, but I, the hiking version's a banger. Tom's uh, right. I'm looking out for that one. <laughs> to answer your question, kid, if I could read the small print here, that's a problem. Chris mm -hmm. Spedding uh, on guitar and uh, Dave Edmonds on bass? Oh, he was on bass. Oh. That's what it says according to. Which oh, song? okay. Okay. Uh, so Chris... dancing. Oh, okay. okay, so what's Chris on, on lead? Okay, great. He did Is an amazing you... job. You mentioned silly love songs. It's Steve Lukather on there. Yes. Yep. Really? Yes, indeed. Yep. Wow. I should have studied these. We should, yeah, we should also mention we should also mention that he gave Dave Edmonds uh, the song On the Wings of a Nightingale for the Everly Brothers during this time as right. well. So very That's busy right. man. One of the best songs Paul's written for another artist. Indeed. Yes. Um, I, you know, if there's anything, anything else anybody wants to talk about that I may have forgotten regarding the album, the music in the, in the, in the movie, or the soundtrack album, you know, itself, anything? Um, 
Yeah, just, I mean, I guess just for my, I don't know if we're doing overall kind of ratings yet or anything. Go ahead. I I know, you know, for me, it's actually, to me, I consider this an essential album. It's kind of the bridge from Paul's more, let's say, hit-making top 10 days, you know, a couple exceptions notwithstanding with, you know, Spies Like Us and things like that. This is the last album to have a legitimate U.S. top 10 hit on it. And I think it is kind of that bridge between, you know, somewhat the earlier mid solo years to now what we have with the later solo years, the post 85 career. Um, and it's kind of a similar story kind of with, uh, you know, whenever I listen to some uh, Bowie stuff, who's probably my third favorite artist after Beatles and Rolling Stones, um, sort of the same thing, you know, like you get that pre-1985 kind of you know, a lot of hits in a row. And then post-1985, maybe not so much commercial success as far as at least having a uh, a top 10 hit. But I think the album flows very well together. I, I really think people should give it a second listen as, as you all have. I think it's really, I think it really comes together well, uh, pun intended. I mean, I, I can enjoy it definitely when I played in September with a cold car ride. I definitely enjoyed it. I, I hadn't played it in a long time. I think it's Ken said, I mean, this is not, this is not one I play, I play very often. Um, but I, for me personally, I mean, I wouldn't put it in, you know, essential for me, you know, it's certainly fun. It's, it's harmless. It's good to listen to, you know, it's not bad at all, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, it wouldn't be essential for me. And we go around, anybody have any thoughts on this? Anybody? Well, Tom, I, I uh, yeah. Kit. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in, but I was just saying, I think Go Ed. Ahead, I, no, oh no. I just, okay, sorry. I was just going to say, I, I, I just wanted to jump off what Ed was saying. I think you're, you're absolutely right that it, it represents this like the last, uh, with the exception of Spies Like Us. But if we're talking like album, you know, because that's you know more that was a single. Um, you know, in terms of albums, I mean, this is sort of the last of of uh, particularly in the U.S of the like top 10 albums and and single you know um uh, kind of uh well lps and uh and so it's it's definitely like the last of, of that um and you know it it uh you know as as far as me personally i mean it, it brought back a lot of you know great memories listening to it and um you know, and it does have some some gems on there. I I probably would agree with you, Joe. It's not like essential listening for me, but it it does have. I mean, no more lonely nights. Is oh yeah, well that yeah one of his best. That, that song, I you know, I thought forget that's that's one of his best songs. Exactly. I mean, know? that's one of his best. I, I think we agree there. Yeah, the play out version. Um, you know, I think is a lot of fun. I mean, it's maybe not the essential track, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, and as I said, it it does mark this this you know the last part of this sort of the you know the pop hit kind of stage of of his career. Yeah, um, I mean there was a pretty much a, re- a role reversal here uh, with the UK compared to the US. I mean this album went to number one in the UK, where I mean I don't even think this what what did this do Ken in the charts for album twenty one. Yeah. I mean, oh no, I had it written. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, we all stand together was the we all we We all all stand together was a top uh, 10 hit in the UK for Paul, right? Um, once upon a long ago was a top hit. Um, uh, 
Uh, all the bats went to number one in the UK. Fellers in the Dirtland Bowl in the UK. It was getting 10 times more, more success. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, Paul has done really well in the UK. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, his fans are pretty loyal and, and his albums chart fairly high, sometimes at number one, usually somewhere in the top five. And here, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the marketing, you know, all the fans go out and buy it very quickly, a new album within a couple of weeks, and then it dies a quick death. Um, but it's it's funny. Overall, the Beatles as solo artists have had more success in the United States than any other country. But yet, you know, Paul still, I think the fans yes. in the UK, for some reason, they still admire him enough to always place his new albums very high. Although, let's face it, the last few McCartney albums here in the U.S. charted high, but died a quick death, like Egypt Station and, and McCartney 3. Um, yeah, but it's it's something, though, about the U.K. I'm really happy that Paul continues to have that success there. Yeah. Now, I do want, I don't see what you all think, I'm sure you'll weigh in, an archive edition. First, I'll take London Town and back to the A. Let's get the... But but at some point I'd like to get an archive edition of this with uh, the movie. You know I really want a, a high definition, you know, reworked movie version. So and I'm sure Ed is is not going to disagree with that, right? <laughs> Ed, um, definitely because that I just have that Fox DVD. I think it is, and right. I don't even think I don't even know if it's in the right aspect ratio. Is it? Is it? Is it wide? Like is or is it? Is it? Flip it over on the B side, there's the full screen, and then if you flip it over on the other side, it should be the more proper aspect ratio. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to see that get, get a better treatment. What does everybody think? I mean, if I have the attitude, yo, I'll take it. <laughs> you know, or, or do you want it? Do you, do you, do you, do you well, look forward to it? It could be a lot of interesting stuff on there. Like, they're always, you know, who knows, the different takes of songs and things like that. Sure. Uh, 100%. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you, you knew I was going to say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> they can come to me if they want to. And I remember Paul for, uh, or Tom from an earlier interview we once did. I would not do it for free. I would do it for a fee and maybe a couple autographs and some you know, stuff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're going to be the consultant. On. But I, I would love to hear, like, you know, let's let's just go over a quick wish list, right? A demo of No More Lonely Nights, you know, take one and maybe oh, then a middle take of like, you know, what it sounded in between, not quite the finished version. Uh, the same with the other new songs. I'd love to hear Hey Jude. I think they might have rehearsed Band on the Run, if I remember correctly, for one of the tracks as one of the covers. Um, if there's any other unreleased songs from this time period that they didn't do. The movie, of course you know, a nice book to go along with it with all the different memorabilia. It illustrates the seven inch, you know, of normal lonely nights, the 12 inch, the picture disc, um, you know, Paul's recollections. He does refer to it in the lyrics book with no more lonely nights. He says, Oh yeah, the film's a fun little caper. He somewhere along that there's like a quote there. So I thought, you know, maybe if he has a little better memory of the film, as opposed to when it first came out, it was not a commercial success. That's an objective fact. I, I would have loved to it for it to be the opposite, but took you know. five years to get out of it. 
<laughs> no, no, I, I couldn't resist. Uh, I couldn't um, during resist. during during yeah, true. during the uh, all, all the press tours, he described it as a good night out. <laughs> <laughs> he did a lot, of, like like he did so many times for so many things, right? He did a lot of promotion. A lot of promotion. oh yeah, Eddie Carson. Yes. Yep. Yep. He had the birthday cake. Was that the one when he had the birthday cake? Yep. Oh yeah, 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 that's right. But Johnny he gave Johnny a birthday cake. I think it was. That's yeah. right. Did it a lot of help if he had performed a song like oh. nights on the show instead of "You Are My Sunshine" and yeah, yeah, do a full version. Yeah. But when you think about it, he did, didn't he at first do a, a very short drunken version of "Yesterday." Yes. <laughs> Which I think is, and, and that's that's the thing. I mean, there's a you know, there's a wonderful, unofficial, unofficial box that I have of you know, yeah. of course I would have it of 1984, and it's all put together. So even something like that, kind of a little background leading up to it, um, I, I would welcome it. I would welcome that with press to play as a double bill, along with you know the obvious London tag, London town, and back to the egg. But just me. All right, hey, I'm I sign me up. So, yeah, all right. So, I think that's it. Oh, we got something. Maybe it's not it. Oh, he's, I think I'm he's, leaving. I'm oh, out. he's got, <laughs> he's, he is. All right, Tom. Sweet dreams. I'm sweet done. Prince. Good Feel night, better Prince. soon. <laughs> Good night, Prince. <laughs> all right. So, let's finish up here by, I guess, well, Tom's gone already. That'll save some time. But uh, we have Ed, Ed now. We can tell us uh, maybe you want Ed, you continue to plug it, your channel or anything maybe you're up to lately if you want to. Uh, sure. sure. Well, well, first of all, I know that um, with the fest, I know Ken and Joe, I'll get to see you guys again. I, yep. I want to say it's with Tom on there, but you know Tom will get to meet for the first time in person along with Kit. I'm looking forward yep. to it. Yep. Andy, other folks, so I'm I'm excited for that. So I'll be there. Look for the guy in the broad street jacket. It'll be kind of hard to miss. Um, <laughs> you know the uh, the, uh, the uh, YouTube channel, of course. Uh, call me Mr. Broad Street. I'm also on YouTube. I'm on TikTok now uh, on Instagram. So it's call me Mr. Broad Street. You'll find me. Um, I've got a couple episodes in the can. I've actually got one with uh, Pipes of Peace. Um, I'm doing one with Milk and Honey on the 40th anniversary coming up pretty soon. Uh, Broad Street, I'm obviously going to do the album and the film probably a little bit later in the year. And as a little tease, I do have a Broad Street related autograph that I am going to do either middle or later this year. I don't think it's something that people have seen too often. It's something I got from tracks. So I think that's going to be really exciting to, to do that. Um, Nice. That's pretty much it for me, but I can't wait to see again. You know, Ken and Joe, can't wait to see you guys again. Like I said, oh, yeah. see Tom and other we'll folks. Be there. Happy, yeah. happy to be there. All right. Just make sure you're there. I don't worry. I'll be there. <laughs> and if you don't, I'm coming to get you. Where do you live? Anyway, honeymooners. Oh, no. I think that's what it was. All right, Ken, what what, what are you up to? Quite a lot, actually. On my YouTube channel, I've been kind of getting back in action again. I did an interview with Owen Lynn, who, as I said, is a good friend of ours here at Talk More Talk. He's also been on Two Legs. He's been on my channel, Ken Michaels Radio, a lot. We just did a video, just an overview of Paul McCartney's solo career. All kinds of very general questions. What's Paul's best work? What's underrated? Who have been the best producers he's worked with? Who have been the best songwriters? You know, who has he worked with the best? 
um, all that kind of stuff. That's on my uh, YouTube channel. I also did an interview with Doug Wolfberg, and I pointed out his book called Fab But True. It's all about a whole bunch of stories, lesser known stories of things that happened in Beatle history. And um, there's something like 19 or 20 stories in this book. And we talked about five of them, um, including the painting that I mentioned um, in the news that all four Beatles worked on. So both those interviews you can find on Ken Michaels Radio. If you can, please subscribe to that channel. Um, things we said today. I guess this will be the first time that I'm saying this, but we're kind of taking a break for the entire month, it looks like, because Alan Cozen has a deadline to finish the McCartney Legacy Volume oh. 2, and he Ooh. should get it finished by the end of this month. Wow. So uh, we don't want to do anything to interfere in that. That's... So um, if Darren DeVivo and I do anything at all, um, it'll probably end up on my channel. It all depends on my schedule and what I'm doing on my channel as well. But that's just for the month of January. Hopefully, Alan will be back in February. And uh, we're all going to be at the fest. So um, hopefully, we'll have our own panel discussions. You can meet all of us. But for things we said today, just for January right now, we're kind of uh, you know taking a breather. Uh, my website, KenMichaelsRadio.com. Um, there's always Beatles trivia where, we, where you can win one of 10 great prizes every single week. Um, by the way, I mentioned the Weakling's new CD. This is it. Comes out January 19th. As I said, they cover I've Just Seen a Face and She's Leaving Home on here. They also do a medley of Mr. Soul and Satisfaction together, the Buffalo Springfield and the Rolling Stones. And Peter Noon sings lead on it. Oh, wow. On the new CD. You can win the CD on my website. And the trivia question that's there is something that I talked about in the news on this show. So if you paid attention, you'll know the answer. Okay. And I just want to mention that for my radio program, the syndicated show, Every Little Thing, um, WFDU, which is the radio station that broadcasted in New Jersey, um, they are now going to broadcast the show two times on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 9 p.m. That's Eastern time. You can listen to my show at WFDU.FM. And you can also go to their website, WFDU.FM, go to their archives page, because they will post the last two shows that have aired of mine, of every little thing, on the radio station. You can just play it on demand whenever you want. WFDU.FM. Click on the archives page for that. Okay. That's what's going on with me. Okay. Kit, take it away. All right. Well, before I get to my stuff, you, of course, can find us right here on this YouTube channel. So please subscribe, like, um, do all that stuff. And uh, those of you who are new subscribers, welcome. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. And those of you who have been longtime uh, subscribers and viewers, thank you, as always, for your support. We couldn't do this without you. Um, you can, of course, find us on any uh, podcast streaming platform you can think of. You can find us on Facebook. And if you like us there, you'll be notified of any future episodes uh, coming up. You can find us on Twitter at TalkMoreTalk1. That's the number one. Uh, you can email us at TalkMoreSoloTalk at gmail.com. 
and uh, and you can find us on the web at uh, talkmoretalk.com. So uh, as far as I go, uh, the new uh, our new Toppermost, the Poppermost episode is up. It's for December um 1963 and it's side a which is the u.s charts and uh so it's uh you know coming uh or no i'm sorry it's the british charts the british charts uh so beatlemania is in full swing um and uh you know but uh, the u.s charts uh, which will be coming soon side b um it is just about to hit so uh and then january of course which will be coming up soon uh, you you know, then we are going to be in full Beatlemania in the U.S. So I've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up on our show. So uh, so please subscribe and uh, and rate us if you would uh, on uh, those platforms. And you can find us at toppermost of the poppermost.net. Uh, also, I'm going to be starting my newest British invasion course. Uh, very soon, which is uh, part three in that series. And so we're going to be looking at 1967 through uh, the like early to mid 70s. I haven't decided where exactly I'm going to cut it off yet. So if you like psychedelic rock, if you like blues rock, if you like prog rock, well, this is for you. So uh, you can sign up uh, for the course. I have the link on the Talk More Talk page, on my page. Uh, so I hope to see you there. It's a really fun course with music, uh, learning, and discussion. So uh, so I hope to see you there. And I think, oh, and then, of course, the fest, as we've all been talking about, is coming up. We don't have any information yet on panels and so forth. So hopefully, I, I hope by the next show, <laughs> we will have that info. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So that's it then, huh? And I'll just, I'll pass on my turn. All right, anyway, uh, but thanks every no, that was to say. Yeah, thanks everybody for, for for being here. You know, I appreciate it always. If you have any ideas for future shows, let us know. You know, everything like that. So for Kiddo Tool, Kenneth Michaels, Edward Crawford, and also Tom Magnotti, who had to leave. Uh, this is Mr. Mayo saying we got to get out of here because if this keeps up, we won't be in London until Boxing Day. <laughs> Cheers. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Ed. Princess. Thank you all. Talk.